Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. God puts a song in the heart of the redeemed. It may come out as a joyful noise, but it's in there. You got to know that when you know Jesus. This summer, we're looking at some of the Proverbs, and Proverbs is a very practical book. It's almost like the James of the New Testament, which is very practical, but Proverbs, actually the word comes from a Latin, two Latin words that mean pro instead of and verba, words, instead of words, instead of a lot of words, it's usually a short, catchy sentence that summarizes a wise principle. Now, the Hebrew word translated Proverbs means a comparison. So a lot of times the comparison comes from, from God's perspective and the world's perspective. Solomon wrote most of the Proverbs. We know that from 1 Kings that he wrote over 3,000 Proverbs. I thought I might try to cover 1,500 of them today. <laughs> I hope you brought your lunch. Actually, we only have 917 in the book of Proverbs, and it's meant to be practical, to, to have feet to our faith. And I've shared this passage with you a couple of years ago. I'm not beginning to believe that you remember all of it, but some of it sounds familiar. It's because it's a familiar passage to us. Let me read beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3 of the book of Proverbs. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Being successful is a goal of just about everyone. Now, if you watch on television or you go on the internet or you look at printed media advertisements, all of us by now ought to be millionaires and we all should look like a celebrity. That's what they say. In order to become wealthy, all you have to do is order their course on how to invest and buy and sell real estate, open up your own internet business or work from home, and even then you can do it in your spare time and you're going to be wealthy. Or, if you want to get rid of those saggy parts of the body, <laughs> then you purchase their exercise program, and in just three minutes a day, three days a week, you can have chiseled arms, shoulders, sculpted abs, sleek thighs, and tight buns. If you want to drop a few pounds... Just order this new diet supplement pill. Eat what you want, whatever you want, and the weight will just melt off of you while you sleep. 
If you apply this certain cream, then you can tighten sagging facial skin and ward off wrinkles and look half your age. Some of us, if not most of us, would be embarrassed if people looked in our closets and our garages and our medicine cabinets and discovered some of this stuff. You know why we buy it? Because the promise that's connected with that stuff is a desire that all of us have. We have a desire to succeed, to be well, to be healthy, and to be happy. And there's nothing wrong with that desire. But the problem is, those things that you buy don't bring that. You just keep buying stuff, you keep trying all these remedies, and it just doesn't bring happiness to you. It doesn't bring necessarily success. You see, success is not determined by our wealth or our status, and thank God, success is not determined by our looks, or we'd all be in trouble, wouldn't we? And those of you who are in business know that the word success is a catchword because people want to know how to succeed in business or to succeed in life. And God really does want you to succeed. But I'm not going to tell you today that he wants you to be wealthy, that he wants you to be perfect, that he wants you to be completely healthy. I mean, we want to be, but that's not a sign of God's success to you. God's got a formula for it. And in this passage, we find some personal, powerful principles that if you follow these, I guarantee you, you'll be a success. And maybe you've already come to that part of your life where you've, you feel like, well, it's too late in life for me to be successful. I got some good news for you. You can start today and you can finish well. You can be successful in God's eyes. So what does it mean? The first three things that are mentioned here, and by the way, these are in couplets, which means there's two verses together that work together. And in those verses, God tells us what to do. He tells us what's going to happen if we do them. And the first three of these out of the five deal with the heart. Isn't it interesting? It always comes back to the heart. We make statements like, I've asked Jesus into my heart. He's not talking about the muscle that pumps blood that keeps us alive. We're talking about the very essence of who we are. My inner being, who I am, my spirit and soul, it's my heart, it's who I am. And it begins right there. I told you last week that the only hope we have for this nation is when people's hearts are changed. Not make them religious, not make them just good moral people, but their heart has to be changed. Well, the first three of these deal with a heart, and the first is a heart of remembrance and obedience. Look at verse 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my my law, but let your heart keep my commands for length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Don't forget my teaching. Everything we know about God comes from God's Word. And everything that we know about life, the purpose of life and the meaning of life and and what we were made to do comes from the Bible. God's Word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all of Scripture is God-breathed. 
In other words, he inspired every last word of it. He's trying to tell us something. And if you do these things, you follow God's commands, you follow God's way, it says it will prolong your life. Now, I know that none of us know how long we're going to live. We want to live to be a, long, to be a ripe old age. And, and the principle here is if you follow God and you acknowledge him and don't forget his commands and you keep him the center of your life, the chances are good you're going to have a long life. That's what he's saying. Remember Star Trek, Mr. Spock? What did he always say? Live long and prosper. Well, look at verse 2 here. For length of days and long life and peace, they will add to you. God wants you to live long and prosper. Now, even if you live to be 100, (laughs) let's just face it, that's not very long compared to eternity. Personally, the older I get, I don't think I want to live to be 100. I'd rather be promoted. But I don't know how long I'm going to live, but I do know this, that I, God wants us to be successful, and what that means is not forgetting him, not forgetting his law, and it will guide you through life, but you'll notice it also, it adds peace to your life. Not only does it add years, but it adds life to your years. You have an abundant life. You will have a life that means something. Doesn't mean it's always easy. Doesn't mean your circumstances are perfect, but it always means something that I know who I am in God. I know that he loves me. I know I'm his child and I am following him and he's not going to lead me down the wrong path. So the first thing is to remember and obey God. Don't forget him. The second truth is a heart of love and integrity, a heart. If you look at chapter 4, verse 23, it says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. It all starts in the heart. A heart of love. The word mercy, you'll notice in verse 3, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Mercy. What does that mean? It's got a double meaning in the Hebrew. The Hebrew word has said mercy basically means to love God and love people. Loving God and loving people. It has many meanings, but in its broadest sense, it means a vertical love for God and a horizontal love for mankind. And when you love God and he lives in you, guess what? He puts a love in your heart for other people. And you know what that means? This word means that where mercy and love is displayed, it means that there's a mutual help for other people. You want to help other people. You can't help it. You want to. God puts that in you. It also means that you will forgive other people. Have have any of you ever been offended? Maybe the better question is, have you been offended yet today? You can't go through this life without somebody hurting your feelings or offending you. You have to develop 
this attitude of forgiveness and grace toward other people. And, and the word also means that you have sympathy, a feeling towards people who are going through difficult times. You see, when you love God, you love people. They go together. But there's also living the truth out, living truthfully in word and deed, not just speaking it, but letting it be outward. To bind them around your neck means to let it be outward, to show like you would wear jewelry, to show it out. Love and truth are to be ornaments of our character. It's to be worn at all times, to live out the truth of God's word. When, you, when this is shown, it says you're going to find favor with God and man. God says, you're going to enjoy my favor. I don't know about you, but I want to live in the favor of God, don't you? Now, he's not talking about salvation. He's not talking about earning your salvation. He's talking about when you, when you keep your eyes on me and you love me and love and truth are bound around you, you're going to live with God's blessing on your life. Please don't misunderstand and think, well, if something bad happened to me, does that mean I'm not in favor with God? That's not what that means. I'm talking about overall in your life, you're going to realize that I've had God's favor, God's love, and God's assurance in my life. It also says that the people will favor you. Not everyone's going to like you. I hate to break that news to you. Not everybody's going to like you. And the world we're living in is becoming more and more hostile toward Christianity. But the New Testament talked about how the common people heard Jesus gladly because they knew there was a love and compassion in him. And you will find that people will respond to your love and compassion more than they will you being hard-nosed Pharisee. See, the only type of people that didn't like Jesus were actually the religious people, the Pharisees. I don't know why people sometimes get in their mind that if I stand on the truth, I've got to be obnoxious about it. After all, God's Word says this, and you're not doing it. It doesn't mean we don't stand on the truth, but you still show compassion and grace and love and mercy toward people. People who are living in a lifestyle that you may not agree with, they need Jesus in their life. Because when their heart changes, everything else does too. And if, it's, if God's people don't show that love and compassion and grace, listen, when people walk in here, they walk in here from all walks of life. And if they come in here and they're in a lifestyle that you know you disagree with, that doesn't mean be hateful to them. Because except by the grace of God, that could be you if Jesus hadn't saved you. To live truthfully, to live out God's word in word and deed speaks of a heart of love and integrity. But the third couplet here about the heart speaks of a heart of reliance and trust. Now, you know this verse. You learned it in Bible school. You learned it in Sunday school. If you've been in church anywhere in your life, you learn trust in the Lord with all your heart 
and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. I try to share that with young people when they're graduating and they're leaving home. What does it mean to trust? Now, the world would have us to believe that you just go with your gut. Trust your instincts. Trust your heart. (laughs) But what's wrong with that? Well, Proverbs 28, 26 says, he who trusts his own heart is a fool. And Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately wicked or sick, and who can understand it? Now, the Hebrew word trust means to lay prostrate on the ground in front of someone, face down. And if you do that, you are totally at their mercy. You're completely trusting them. Think about trusting God. Why is it so hard for people to trust God? You ever thought about it? God cannot lie. So he's not going to fool you. And God's wisdom makes it impossible for him to fail us. And he cannot make a mistake. Do y'all believe that about God? Then why do we have a hard time trusting him? (laughs) If I trust God, he'll make me miserable. I remember as a kid thinking, well, I'm, I'm, I'm really kind of afraid to trust God with what he wants me to do with my life because he'll make me marry somebody ugly and send me to Africa. <laughs> well, obviously that didn't happen. I married a beautiful lady, and I'm glad to be in West Texas. Why are we afraid to trust God? And in what ways do we trust him? Well, it's three ways mentioned. First of all, you trust him entirely, all your heart. There's no such thing as half-hearted trust. I either trust him or I don't. And I know there's some things I haven't understood when I said yes to God. And some things I didn't like at times when it happened. But I still trust him. At first glance, it looked like a great victory. A long time ago, the federal appeals court ruled that the phrase, in God we trust, on a government building does not violate the separation of church and state. The Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals, based in Richmond, Virginia, ruled that the national motto may remain on the facade of a county government building in Lexington, North Carolina. But... Listen to the court, what the court had to say, and I quote Judge Robert King. Quote, the Fourth Circuit has heretofore characterized the phrase, in God we trust, when used as the national motto on coins and currency, as a patriotic and ceremonial motto with no theological or ritualistic impact. Well, folks, if in God we trust has no theological or ritualistic impact, why don't we just put Mickey Mouse there? In Mickey Mouse we trust. 
You either trust God or you don't. If, if a stranger came up to you you'd, ne- you'd never met before and said, would you do me a favor? What's the first question you're going to ask? Well, what is it? And that stranger said, well, I'm not going to tell you what it is. Just trust me. And after you say you'll do it, I'll tell you what it is. I doubt seriously any of you would do that. However, if your spouse or your best friend or somebody that you know very well or your, or your sibling, well, maybe not the siblings, <laughs> depending on what age you are, and they said, would you do me a favor? Well, what is it? Well, I just, I just want you to trust me. Will you do it? You probably would lean more to doing that because you know the people or the person that asked you to do that. Well, the more that you know about God, the more that you love him, the more you begin to trust him. You can't trust someone that you don't know and love. And God says, I want you to trust me. That's why faith is so important to God. In fact, the only way to please God, Hebrews 11 says, is by faith, by trust. Because you're saying to God, you're absolutely trustworthy. We must also trust exclusively. Lean not on your own understanding. Now, what does that mean? It means when things are not going exactly right in your life, you try to figure out in your own intelligence what's going on. You ever got stuck there? I'm trying to figure out what God's doing, and I just can't figure it out. You know what? There's some things above your intellectual ability to know. And I'm not being critical. I'm just telling you that an infinite God, first of all, doesn't have to tell us anything. But if he did, you wouldn't understand it. I don't understand why godly people get cancer and die. I don't understand it. Except that we live in a sin-cursed world and it rains on the just and the unjust, and we're all going to die. The only way out of this world is by dying, except the Lord's return. We're all going to die one day. We just don't know how, and we don't know how long. I don't understand why it seems like wicked people, whatever that term is in the world, live a long time. Could be in the mercy of God, he's giving them extra time to come to him. I don't know. And maybe you're going through a tough time and you're saying, God, why, what's going on here? Why am I in this situation? Why do I have to be the one to go through this? Why, why, why? It's real close to wine, isn't it? And we've all done it. And God may not say, here's why. So I have to focus on what I do know. What do we know? We know that God loves us dearly. We know that his love is perfect. 
We know that God knows everything and knows more about you and me than we know about ourselves. We know that we are his children saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ. We are saved and we committed our life to him and that we know when we get to heaven, we're going to heaven one day when we die. So I focus on what I do know instead of what I don't know. And I can promise you this. There's going to be a lot of this in heaven one day. When we finally get there, it's going to be, oh, now I see. But until that time, all you can do is say, Lord, I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. I'm going to trust you. Larnell Harris sang a song a long time ago that had a, had a phrase in it that said, you know, God's too kind to be um, cruel and things like that. I'm not saying it right, but the one phrase I remember, it says, when you can't trace his hand, you trust his heart. And there have been times when all I could do is say, Lord, I don't understand this, but I trust you. The hardest thing in life, David Russell said, the hardest thing to learn in life is which bridge to cross and which bridge to burn. Y'all, I told you back in October about Matt Emmons. You probably will remember when I start telling you about it, but some of you weren't here. He, he's got a name in the Olympic books, but not in the way that you think, not in the way that he had hoped. He was everyone's favorite to win the 2004 Olympic 50-meter three-position rifle event. And as he approached the last station, he was one shot away from a gold medal. One. And he didn't even have to hit the bullseye. All he really had to do was hit the target. He had that many points already, and he would win. So he aimed, calculated the shot, he came close enough to the center to score 8.1, more than enough for a gold medal, but it didn't. Instead, at first, he finished eighth. He got near the bullseye all right. He just shot the wrong target. Standing in lane two, 50 yards away, 50 meters away, he shot target three instead of two. He, it's an extremely rare mistake in elite competition. But folks, it, it doesn't matter how accurately you aim if you shoot the wrong target. How many times do people say, well, I know what God says, but I feel like it's okay. That's leaning on your own understanding. The third way is we trust him extensively in all your ways. Acknowledge him. That's easy to say. 
It's hard to do. I mean, after all, when we come to that, we'll say, God, I, I, I trust you to take me to heaven, and I won't go to hell when I die. And, and, and God, I trust, I trust you to, to teach us at church and to guide our church. And, but Lord, uh, I'm not so sure about my vocation. I'm not sure about where I live, and I'm not so sure about this and that in my life, in my personal life, my dating life. I'm not so sure about all of that. But why is it we think God will lead us at church or will lead us in our spiritual life, but then we leave him out of all the other places? Well, God's not interested in the little things. You know what? A lady asked a pastor that time, one time, he said, do you think God really cares about the little things in my life? And the pastor said, ma'am, do you think in your life there's anything that is a big deal to God? true, isn't it? Notice God's promise. It says, first of all, he will direct you. Wow. Not an angel, not a messenger. He will guide us. His spirit living in us will guide us. It doesn't say he might. He said, shall. No maybe to it. He shall, he will direct. Means road builder, maintenance chief. Means to make straight or plain, to build it in front of you. He will build the road in front of you. And the word path is the customary everyday directions you go. It's not the big deal. Now, obviously, when we've got a big decision to make, we ask God to help us, but he's saying, Solomon is saying, God will direct your everyday path. You have a path every day, don't you? You're creatures of habit. I know you are, because I are one. You drive the same way to work just about every day. Am I right? Can I get a witness here? You probably stop at the same coffee shop on the way to work, or you stop by the donut shop or whatever, and you go the same way every time. Some of you drive the same way to church every Sunday morning, and I promise you, most of you sit in the same place every Sunday morning. <laughs> so you come in the same door. <laughs> How do I know this? Because I are one. I am one. I know the English there for all you English teachers. Listen, he's saying, I'm concerned about your everyday life. Every day. On your way to work, God, thank you for this day. Help guide me today at work or help how I deal with other people and so forth. He guides your every day. He builds the road in front of you. But sometimes we get so accustomed to everything that we forget to acknowledge God in all our ways. True story. Years ago, a man in South Georgia on a long straight stretch of highway on a motorcycle is driving down the motorcycle and he starts noticing all of the telephone poles, the power poles, I should say. Notices how evenly spaced they are, and they just line that road as far as he can see. And so he's watching them out of the corner of his eye until he gets to the end of the road. 
and the road makes a sharp left, and he's watching the poles, and he just keeps on going right off the road. Has a wreck. He's injured. Tore up his bike. He then sued the light company. (laughs) He maintained that when the road made a sharp turn to the left, the poles should have followed it because he's watching the poles. Well, obviously, he didn't win that one. I'm surprised, but he didn't win it. You see, if you don't acknowledge God, you start acknowledging all of these parking places that the road of life has, you run off the road. In 1997, the Chicago Tribune had this article about a man named Paul Sirks who was flying his single-engine vintage plane. It took off by itself, flew for two hours, and crashed in a bean field 90 miles away in Ohio. Now, what had happened, he was flying his 1946 uh, Aronka Champ, and it had mechanical problems, and so the engine stalled on the runway and he got out to restart that vintage plane by hand. And when he did, the motor started and evidently everything was left like it was and it started taxiing. I almost hit another plane. And because the plane was trimmed for landing, which means the nose was trimmed up, it started climbing. That two-seater plane climbed about 2,000 feet, circled in the air for five minutes before heading northeast and reaching a height of 12,000 feet. It kept flying until it ran out of fuel and crash-landed in northeastern Ohio. That's exactly what's going to happen to lives who don't acknowledge God every day of their life. Lean on your own understanding, you're going to crash in a bean field somewhere, figuratively speaking. It doesn't mean that we don't have a brain and we can't think for ourselves. But we should never put what we think ahead of what God says. A fourth truth to be successful is a mindset of respect and discernment. When it says in verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and depart from evil. It'll be health to your flesh, strength to your bones. Fear, God, does not mean to be afraid, to cower down in fear. We're not told to be afraid. In fact, we have a relationship with God. We're told to call him Abba Father, like Dad. We have a relationship with him. But you make sure that you always respect and honor him. I'm not afraid of electricity, but I highly respect it because I know what it can do if you touch two things at the wrong time or at the right time. Pilots of airplanes have learned to respect aerodynamics. They respect the weather. They respect their equipment. There's an old saying among pilots that says there are no old pilots. Excuse me, there are old pilots and there are bold pilots, but there are no old bold pilots. You learn to respect And God says, it'll bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. 
There's a connection between walking with the Lord and actual health. Now, listen carefully to me. Don't misunderstand. If you're going through an illness, that doesn't mean that you don't love Jesus. That's not what he's saying. The principle here, speaking to young people primarily, he's saying you follow the Lord and it's going to add length to your days and health to you. Don't, don't um, well, follow God's commands and don't stray from those. It'll add strength to you. I've had people ask, do you believe in divine healing? I absolutely do. I believe everyone that gets well has been healed by God because all of it comes from He's the great physician. All healing comes from God. And some of you may say, well, I don't remember one time God's healed me. Well, praise God. That means you've been pretty healthy. Have you ever thought about what God kept you from getting? Oh, I thought about that. Again, that has nothing to do with your, your spiritual walk. or your. I, I, I get mad at those people who say, well, when you just, um, you know, you, if, if you had enough faith, you wouldn't be sick. I can hardly wait for them to meet Paul and Timothy, if they get there. Thank God for what he's done for you. It's, it's discern what God's already done for you. I have a feeling when I get to heaven, there are going to be a couple of beat up, bruised, black and blue angels. And they're going to say, we're so glad you're finally here. I have no scripture to back that up, but I just believe. I just know that God's taken care of me so many times. He's like, he has you. The final truth is in verse 9 and 10. It's a stewardship that honors God. Here's the one verse. Honor the Lord with your possessions. If you've been to South Crest, and anytime you hear me say this all the time, we don't give anything to God. You honor him. He's given you everything. Y'all remember that movie, Chariots of Fire, years ago? Eric Liddell, it's a story about him who was a runner from Scotland. And in the 1924 Olympics, he was there to run the 100-meter dash but the preliminary rounds to get to the gold medal round were held on Sunday. And he had such a strong religious conviction about being any kind of sport on Sunday, he refused to do it. And they told him, Eric, you're throwing away your opportunity for a gold medal. It turns out one of the British runners in the 400-meter relay was sick or couldn't run. And so they put Eric Liddell in there, which was not his forte, it came, day, came time to run that 400-meter relay, and, or the 400-meter race, I should say, and maybe that was, it was not a relay, but it was the race. And an American runner came up to him and handed him a piece of paper. And most everybody had known that he did not run in his 100-yard, 100-meter dash because of the, his convictions. When he opened up that piece of paper... There was a verse from 1 Samuel 2, verse 30, where God says, those who honor me, I will honor them. He took off running, and even though it wasn't his event, he won the gold medal in the 400 relay. Not the relay, but the 400 race. But the best part is not the Olympic gold that he won. 
I believe there'll be a crown for him. He became a missionary to China before the Japanese invaded in World War II. And when they did, Eric Liddell died as a Christian martyr. And the crown that Eric Liddell would receive in heaven is much greater than the gold crown or the gold medal that he won in the Olympics. God says, give me first. Well, here that preacher's talking about money again. I don't talk about money much. I ought to. 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus taught talked about money. One out of 10 verses in the New Testament talks about money and possessions. Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell. There must be something to it. But what does this mean? To honor the Lord with your possessions, with the first fruits of all your increase. Listen, everything you have, all the opportunities you've had, all of it is because of God's grace and sovereignty in your life. He's allowed you to have what you have, whether you acknowledge it or not. To honor him with the first fruits is to say, Lord, it's all yours anyway, but I want to give you the best part of it first. I want to honor you with it because I realize I'm a steward and I'm not going to wait till I see what I've got left to honor you. No, I'm going to honor you. You get first. That's what it means. And I'm going to tell you that the Lord takes care of you and provides your needs and when you honor him, he blesses you in so many different ways. He may not give you a bunch of money. He may make your car run longer than you ever thought it would run. Or your machine, water machine doesn't break down. You're thinking, my soul, that thing's 50 years old. It ought to have died by now. I don't know how God does it, but God does it. Amen? He does it. So many of you have learned that because it's an attitude of the heart. George W. Truett, one time, he was the First Baptist Church pastor in Dallas many years ago, was visiting a wealthy Texas oil man. And he went to this two-story, beautiful home on this large estate. And after they'd eaten dinner, they walked out on the balcony, and this oil man pointed the direction of a bunch of oil wells. And he said, Pastor, I own as far as you can see that direction. And then he pointed this way, and he said, see all those cattle? He said, I own as far as you can see that direction. Then he pointed to these beautiful grain fields and he said, I own as far as you can see in that direction. I own all of that. George W. Truett said, let me ask you a question. How much do you own this direction? Because Jesus said, don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth. Lay up treasures in heaven for where your treasure is. That's where your heart is. All of this that is given to us right here makes no sense to somebody who does not know Jesus. You can be religious. You can be a good person. This makes no sense until you come to know Christ. And that's the first thing that God says, come to me, but your sin has separated me from you. And that Jesus was the one mediator between God and man. And when you come through Jesus... You come into my family. And if you don't know Jesus today, more than anything on this earth, 
We want you to know him. Coming to a church is good, but if you don't know Jesus, it's just an exercise you go through. You can know him today. If you don't, today's the day. Asking God to forgive you, believing that Jesus died on the cross and rose again and placing your faith in him. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray for those today who need Jesus as their Savior and that your Spirit would convict them and show them how much you love them, convict them of their sin, and bring them to you to be saved today. Lord, I pray for believers who need to acknowledge you in all their ways, their personal life, their business life, their home life, all of it. And Lord, thank you that we can trust you because you can't lie. You don't make mistakes. I pray for those that are going through some difficult time, Lord, and they need a fresh word from you. They they need to be reminded that you still love them, that you're right there. And even though they may not understand all of the circumstances, that they can still trust you. So, Lord, during this time, I pray that people will be drawn to you and you alone. 